We are the men who. If I if I pick a story to to tell, um, the the stories that I want to tell is it's got to be a story that speaks to you. You've got to be able to relate to it in some way. I first identify where am I in that story, mm-hmm. how do I relate to it, and I start to kind of unpick a little bit. Well, why is it I feel like that? Where where does my life meet the story? And that's when I start to be like, right, I'm I'm getting a bit more richness from this and I can bring myself into this telling in a way that's safe. So in terms of mental well-being, it can really help me process life events and and acknowledge and and work with and feel into those life events and uh, a little bit more give breath and give voice to them. Just to relate to those experiences, I think for me, I can start to you know, feel into them a little bit more, process my own experiences, understand my own experiences, and understand what, what the outcomes of the characters or the people in the stories were and how I might achieve that or arrive at that. You know, how do, how do you work with those messages? Welcome to The Men Who Talk, the men's mental well-being podcast brought to you by The Men Who. The Men Who is a men's collective for actively maintaining positive mental well-being. With The Men Who, Men have the opportunity to talk, listen, support, care for, and help themselves and each other build meaningful connections in person, online, and together. Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. Join us on this lifelong journey. We are the men who, and welcome to the men who talk. David, a very, very warm welcome to the Men Who Talk podcast. How are you today? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm really good. I'm very excited to have you on because this, as we said, when you arrived here, is a very different angle to the podcast in terms of what you're going to bring to us today, isn't it? Mm, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Well, at the risk of uh, spoiling your surprise, um, you, you're here to tell us a story, but more importantly than that, you're here to tell us stories about stories. Stories within stories within stories. Stories within stories within stories. Um, there was a movie about that, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to tell you that one. <laughs> <laughs> or as you said, you might spontaneously break into a story. So um, we'll try and keep us on track. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I think I think we'll 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 build it up. We'll we'll keep the story chained up until it's ready to release. Build it up. Well, yeah, as I say, we've got <laughs> we've got a great um great gift for the listeners today, which is um which is a story from your from your own head and your own heart, um because you are a storyteller amongst other things, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, yeah, that's a really big word, uh, but I will I will embrace it for this this podcast. To me, it's a big word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a it's a wonderful thing, and it's an art that I'm completely unfamiliar with, other than being a recipient of stories from various people, you know, throughout my time. Um, and as we'll come on to in a bit, you've you recently delivered a story for the men who in one of our circles, which is why I was so interested to have you on because um, you obviously you know delivered that within the setting of a. A mental well-being group and, and I wanted to know from you um, and from your experience what the power of stories are in terms of mental well-being and, and communities generally so really interested to have you on. Um, before we get into the art of storytelling and what it's all about and how it can help us why don't you give the listeners uh, an introduction to who you are and what it is you do maybe outside of storytelling. Yeah um, yeah so storytelling is a, a thread that, that I kind of weave through everything that I do um, but more more broadly, in in sort of the work sense, I I have a couple of different jobs that I I do. But um, I guess I'm mainly kind of consider myself as a facilitator. 
um, and I support people to connect with nature um, through various mediums and um, mostly young people that I work with, but I, uh, I, I do work with people across, across the spectrum. And like I was saying, storytelling to me has just kind of presented itself as a, as a way to communicate with people that, that were able to have kind of conversations and, um, you know, reach in and, and, and go that little bit deeper, especially when you're talking about nature climate crisis biodiversity loss and also people's relationship to themselves and to the planet mm. and i think yeah I, I it's just it's been there kind of constantly as a as a thing and i was like mm, i wonder i wonder what happens if i kind of follow that path a little bit and the more i get into it, the more i'm like ah this is there's something in this um something in it that speaks to me and i think speaks to just humans in general i think we're storytelling creatures yeah we've always done it and we all love a good story yeah it's something that permeates, you know, every aspect of life. And I'm really excited to, you know, hear about your journey into it, you know, as you've alluded to there, how you apply it in your kind of, I suppose, per, uh, professional life and the benefits that brings the people you work with. Is, is it something that you've always had a capacity for, an interest in, or did it, did it come out of opportunity? Um, yeah, I think for me, I guess, yeah, I, I grew up with, with, with some stories and I've always loved language. Um, and I, when I, when I decided, when I was deciding when I was at school and I was deciding what I was going to go and study after school, I, I was kind of caught, I was torn between doing, going down a language path or going down a science path. And I chose the science path and I went and I studied ecology at university. And I remember being uh, in lectures and I remember writing essays actually. And being told off for using too much like descriptive language interesting and and uh yeah it kind of i i, I like had to unpick a lot of my love for language and present like dry scientific facts not that science is always dry but um yeah and um i i kind of i lost i lost that kind of little bit of love for language and words um and then when i finished university i kind of floundered about thinking i don't know what i'm going to do and uh, found sort of conservation work, volunteering, working with people, working with people outdoors in nature. has been like, ah, this is what I like to do. And within that's communication. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I, I found this kind of path of how do you bring people into the outdoors? How do you communicate? I, I guess without having to know, you know, this Latin names of all the trees, but, you know, what they are and, and how they make us feel and why they're important. And um yeah, within that, I guess, story started to present itself as a way to communicate these things with people in an honest and authentic and real way. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I guess I kind of started to find that little love of language again. And I guess I, I, I first came across storytelling as a thing, or as a folk art, uh, probably about six years ago. And I, I remember seeing storytellers and thinking, oh, there's something in that that, that I like, but not quite been able to put my finger on it. And then it was 2020, and the dreaded year of. Can't remember what happened. Know, but something was, terrible. Was there a significant year? Well, it was a, it was a, it was a rather significant year for a lot of people, I think. But for, certainly, all that time indoors and being like, I, I don't know what I want to do. How do I like make the most out of my own life? And and I kind of landed on this. It was a humbling initiatory experience for a lot of people, I think, going through the pandemic. Yeah. But I landed and like, I want to, I want to get good at storytelling. I want to do more of this. 
and kind of signed up to get a coach um, because that's a thing as well as I've got a storytelling coach. I mean, wow. that's like the best job in the what world. What an incredible job. Surely. Um, and then started to dig more and then realized, oh, this is a lot heavier and a lot bigger than I ever thought it could be. And I've treaded into the realm of like, was it conscious incompetence? <laughs> what am I doing? This, this, it's like, yeah, there's a lot wrapped up in it for me anyway. Um, there's a lot wrapped up in it, and uh, yeah, the more I got into it, I was like, oh, I need to treat these stories with care and with reverence and with respect, and and um, how do I get the most out of them, and how do I present them in a way that can influence and change, and and I, I guess touch something in people. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I guess I've been formally telling stories since uh yeah 2020 um so i'm still quite i'm I'm a young storyteller yeah. as it were <laughs> it's, it's so listening to that right you started off by saying you know you had you were torn i suppose between language and science which for me are on the face of things two kind of very divergent roles and you said as much when you went into the scientific world that you had to pair back your uh your use of language you know i've experienced something quite similar in that i went into a field that was inherently not very creative and I'm a very creative person and over time I found myself gravitating back towards a very creative career and I now realize that's probably where I should have started but you know listening to you talk about uh the journey that you've been on from where you started into taking on this storytelling role again you can see your love of language and your capacity for words shining through there just the words you used to describe the experience and the way you handle stories, your care for them, your reverence, it's its really interesting to hear you speak in that way. You almost come, you know, you come across as a storyteller before you've started to tell a story. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I think the more I got into it, I was like, this is something that you need to wear as like a, I, again, with it, within it, it's like part of the craft is not being an actor. Like I'm not an actor. Yeah. When I tell a story, I am me. And, I, and people can see that if you're standing up on, on a stage or in front of people and you're, you're assuming that you're putting on a cloak and saying, and now I will become John the Storyteller. Yeah. People can see that and there's, there's an, in, an inauthenticity to it that I don't think people quite, it doesn't quite line up um, and it doesn't quite translate as well. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you know, acting's not a wonderful thing and, and it has its merits, but, but for me, this traditional art of storytelling is about being able to be yourself and tell a story and bring as much of the story out through your own life, through you know um, the the room that you're in, and uh, present it in that kind of compelling way that that really makes people listen. Um, and that that to me is really good storytelling when you when you get that magic when you've got people kind of hooked and they're like, oh, hang on a minute, that what that happened to me just yesterday. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm going to dial back a bit because, as I said, you you kind of described a journey that uh, is very familiar to me, and that you went you went into a certain field that didn't necessarily enable your many of your talents, or perhaps what you 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 realized you wanted to do. When you were when you were in the heart of your scientific career, and you realized that you couldn't use your your kind of creative language, how did that make you feel? Ooh, the heart of my scientific career when I was at uni. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, my scientific career didn't really take off. Um, how did it feel? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like kind of like I, I pushed a lot of it down, I suppose. Um, I, I guess within it is this, this sense of, you know, not being, not, be, not uh, yeah, I guess that was it. One of the things I, certainly when I was studying, I didn't feel 
like I quite fitted in with all the science types. I was never, you know, um, the the one sitting at the front of the lecture asking lots of, you know, really, really tough questions or anything like that. Um, and certainly I remember because we were studying, it was ecology we were studying, there was, a, there was an element of fieldwork. I would be the, I remember being out and we were supposed to be collecting very serious data and I would be um, taking my course mates away to smear brambles on her face and playing <laughs> in the woods and just, just, you know, being playful and enjoying being outside rather than yeah. just collecting stats and data. And I remember one of the lecturers coming up and being like, why have you got bramble smeared all over your face? Yeah. You <laughs> like, smell good though. We're playing a game. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, in terms of how it made me feel, uh, yeah, I, I suppose I, I, get, I guess I had to learn a different way of doing things. But to go back to that point, I think where there's a lot of magic is where the river of science and the river of like art meet. Yeah. I think there when you can get that mix right, uh, and I think especially just now with climate crisis and biodiversity loss and all the doom and gloom that comes with the state of the natural world, um, if you can get people to listen to the science in a creative and interesting and engaging way mm -hmm. and understand it and process it differently, I think. I think that we could be on to, you know, creating the change that we need. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, a much less important level. You know, my my profession is in the whiskey industry, and a lot of the way that industry is presenting itself now is is the confluence between science and art. Obviously, it's a very scientific, technical, creative process that distillation. But again, people recognise that there is also an art to it, and the way it's sort of presented and sold and marketed these days, very art forward. Um, but I mean, the reason I ask why uh, or how it made you feel um, <laughs> during your scientific days, if we don't call them a career, but it's because I, I had something similar and well, I, I went into a very technical field straight out of uni. Um, and I, you know, I look back and think I didn't give that enough thought, but how it made me feel when I realized that it wasn't using my talents or my interests is I felt like an actor. So I felt like an mm. imposter even over a 10 year career, wow. which I didn't necessarily realize at the time, but looking back, I do now. And I was almost... Um, I was portraying interest. I was portraying passion. Uh, I was a lot of the time actually portraying that I knew more than I did, which comes with that kind of career I was in. Was consulting. It's kind of part and parcel, but nonetheless, you know, and that that's an unhealthy thing for anybody over any length of time. But when you you take that over five years, and then you do have that realization that actually you're not really being true to yourself. It's a very hard thing to sustain, and that was really the catalyst for me to do a complete shift. You know, not only of industry but also of of discipline. So I went from technical to very creative. Uh, I went from sort of consultancy into whiskey. You know, very big leap for me, but it was all founded on the fact that I wasn't really being true to myself. And I think you, you know, to whatever degree, have been on a similar journey there from from going scientific through to storytelling in nature and you you have found a confluence that to me sounds absolutely brilliant yeah oh that's that, yeah that's it's always interesting to hear other people's experience of of similar things and that that i of what I, what i search for a lot and what i am searching for is that like authentic self and being being true to myself and it sounds like you've kind of gone through that similar sort of process and the sitting with the imposter syndrome of feeling like you're not in the right place and that you're presenting something that's it's not real or inauthentic. I've done yeah some similar stuff as well, and it, it's really really tough to go through. But I think it also builds your resilience, and you know there's there's learning in all these experiences as well, isn't there? 
couldn't agree more. I mean, it ultimately sort of led to the men who and everything mm. that, you know, I've learned through this. So um, you, you do have to apply that lens um, and, and use it constructively. Um, I, I'm, we're, we're about to get into the storytelling story, the storytelling journey, but um, obviously you're a man who, you're part of the men who. Um, you, you've been to our circles, you've contributed wonderfully in many ways, um, not least through storytelling. Before we go into storytelling and the, the wider context of how it can help us as individuals, as a community, whatever, if we think about mental well-being and the the world of mental well-being or the phrase, you know, as a man, as a human, what does it mean to you? How do you approach mental well-being in your own life? The it's it for me it's like it's like drawn back to to pulling things back to me and I think it, it for, certainly for situations where I'm feeling the the sort of runaway train of mental health when I'm when I'm starting to um, spiral a little bit or uh, worry about things in the future or 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 feel any of those I don't want to say like negative emotions but emotions that don't serve me that well um, that I I pull it back to, to just being in the, the present moment and I guess yeah, it, I, I know that you've spoken about it before about the, um, this, this idea of the garden and your mind being a garden uh, I really like that metaphor to be able to think of it, that it needs tending and it needs caring um, that, that as, as a storyteller like metaphors really <laughs> speak to yeah. me so thinking of my mind as a, as a garden and coming back to that it needs constant tending it needs maintenance it needs care it needs love and uh, for me, that the the sort of uh, well being uh, is is tied up in the the process of caring for it and doing the things that that I know that I need to do to to manage and maintain the little garden in my mind. So, so what are those things, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I, I, big on nature connection. Uh, for me, it's you know seeing myself as part of the the living world. Um, so any opportunity I can get to to get out and to be in nature and to connect with nature and then myself at the same time uh being in community like chatting to other people being with other people always feels really important again in this authentic real way rather than um pre presenting something that's not not true that i imagine probably quite happens a lot of the time around the office cooler at work or something <laughs> that way it's all very like surface level yeah um and yeah the other thing the thing that, that we do in the the, the, the men who um, circles that coming back to gratitude and finding space for that in every day and I think part of my process is to like give voice to that and give yeah. language to it rather than just thinking oh, I'm really grateful for this but you know to be out on a walk and say like wow that's a beautiful sunset the clouds are amazing mm -hmm. and and to like speak it out can just I, for me it it just lifts my spirit yeah so yeah, finding those, I guess, yeah, gratitude, nature connection uh, and community um, feel like ways to tend that little garden. Yeah, all, all strong pillars of a, a healthy mm. mind and a healthy body. I, I keep wanting to go down rabbit holes here because I'm, yeah. I'm so fascinated <laughs> by various aspects of this conversation. But one thing you said there was gratitude. And um, so it's something I've really tried to dial into, particularly with the men who, and I've tried various ways. You know, I've tried journaling. I have tried setting aside a specific amount of time every day to be grateful. Um, and I think these work for a lot of people. I, I find it most effective, like you, is, you know, let it come to you. When it comes to you, recognize it and, and give a voice to it or give it a vision rather than, you know, just set aside 10 minutes a day to be grateful. And that, you know, if I do that going about my daily business, I find the, I suppose, the payback of gratitude much more effective in my own heart 
yeah. when I when I do recognize it in the moment. Yeah, yeah. There's something about that. Um, I, again, as as well within that, I think is allowing allowing yourself to slow down and recognize it as a moment to say, "Hang on a minute, this is a moment to be grateful for." Let me just sit in this moment. Let me just drink it in for a second. Yeah, and and enjoy it and and allow that feeling to kind of move. And I think within that, yeah, giving voice to to that that feeling or the or some words to it um, is a is an incredibly powerful way of allowing it to move around about you. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Certainly, I'm not a big fan of the the like journaling. I find it quite difficult to to write. Um. Yeah, I've got to like get it out. Mm. Yeah, I think well, the important thing is if you get it out, however it works for you. Yeah. Let's go into storytelling. Let's go into the crux of this conversation and. I think the first question I've got to ask you about storytelling seems obvious to me, but it might not be when we get under the lid. As a storyteller, what is storytelling to you? How would you describe it to people? Um, so the, the the way that I always lead this question is that it's almost to excuse it as a as a thing because because everyone's a storyteller. Everybody tells stories all the time. You know, you've just told me stories about you know your your previous work experiences and what it's done to you and how how it's affected you but um yeah so we're, we're all storytellers human beings are all are all storytellers but for me the art of, of storytelling uh it's about stripping back um ourselves to to something a little bit more real i guess I I guess like I think about as the way that we we view stories these days and watching, you know, you can switch on the television and you get a thousand and one, a million and one different stories that you can watch. You can pick up your phone and you can scroll through like thirty second clips on TikTok and stuff that are all stories in in their own right. But you know where they originated from. The traditional art of storytelling, the traditional way of telling stories, is a person standing and or sitting and recounting a series of events and that can be like a personal story that could be a myth or a folktale or a legend and for me within this this craft it's about kind of taking all that back and finding ways how can you communicate information in a compelling and interesting and engaging way um and when we tell stories, especially ones that have a bit of mystery or a bit of magic or a bit of something that maybe we don't quite understand. You know, our brains start to light up in different ways, and and like we we start to seek the patterns and find the metaphors and find find oh, what what can I relate to in this? And I think when you strip back everything and it just becomes one person talking and telling you a story, and if they can tell it in a compelling way and in an interesting way. Then yeah, you, you open the door to like real human connection. I think for me, that's part of the heart of it as well is that real human connection. And you know, it links in with the men who like being in circle and sitting in community with other people. That's what people, humans would have done for thousands and thousands of years. Mm. You know, before we had televisions, before we had phones. Not even like you know, even you know, up in the Highlands of Scotland, just you know, not even a hundred years ago. And still to this day, people are gathering and telling stories. Um, and sharing sharing this information or sharing facts about their day or old myths and old folk tales. And for me, this feels like a really wishy washy answer. But there's a lot that's uh, that's wrapped up in it. Um so yeah, I guess it's a variety of different things and it can it can take on many different guises and many different forms. But 
yeah, there's something about presenting this authentic self, like I said, not being an actor, but being yourself, telling a story and bringing in as much of yourself and of the story as possible. Yeah. There's something very fascinating in that. And I'm glad you said it because I don't think, um, I don't think it's, I don't actually think a lot of people would realise that, that the art of good storytelling, so-called good storytelling is, is being authentic. But you said something earlier that, you know, when, when an actor does stand up and puts on a mask, uh, to tell a story that people see straight through that. And I suppose because it's such an innate human quality or it's something that's existed as long as humans have that it's almost, um, you can't fool people, can you? If, if you want to tell an authentic story, can, it, it, it just goes right to the heart of them. Yeah, I think, I think good acting is, is, is a different thing, isn't it? Because it's a really good actor. You don't see anything of the person behind the mask, almost mm-hmm. behind the character they're playing. You think that they are that character. Um, but storytelling, you're taking off that mask. And I guess, you know, if I'm telling a story, I've got to be able to jump into the different characters within that story, but still be me, yeah. you know, and be a witch and be a dragon. And, be, you know, all the, and, and you know, these are, I guess, if you look at like the archetypes of these characters and the different forms they take, you know, these are things that live within us. You know, there's, there'll be times when, you know, my inner witch comes out or my inner dragon wants to hoard some gold or something yeah. like that. Sounds, it sounds a bit like being a parent to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, what, what are the archetypes that come out there? <laughs> well, mate, too many to mention and they're so transient. It's kind of... Loving father. Loving father. No, that's, that, that's completely authentic. There's no story there. But yeah, um, I'll be telling stories tonight, a million of them, probably in the bath. <laughs> to two young kids, by the way, I should mention. Um, I don't just have baths and tell, my, tell I, myself stories. I, I quite often do the best storytelling I do in the bath. <laughs> it's the best place to practice and think. I probably don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> it's, it's definitely going in, I'm sorry. Um, there's, there's a big guidance for, for people who are interested. Um, you, you took us on a bit of a journey earlier. You said you kind of gravitated towards storytelling, I think, through your, your career in nature and helping people. But was... Was there a particular moment, a day, an event, an experience where you just sat and thought, "This, yeah, this is something I really want to engage with"? I think not, not so much a particular moment, but I'm trying to think of the first story that I told, like a formal story that I told. Um, I think, I think actually, I, I'd seen various storytellers that I really admire and, and like, and. Um, almost been inspired by them somewhat I, I also so in addition to my illustrious career as a, a as an ecologist and nature connection person whatever it was I said before um I also I spent a lot of time uh working in theater and events and I think there's something about being in that space and absorbing like theater and the arts and live performance in that way there's something about about that and being steeped in that sort of environment that's that's kind of reached in and i love a bit of i love bringing a bit of theater into storytelling because i think that that just heightens the whole experience mm-hmm. um so yeah when when i and there's a, there's a storyteller i really rate and his name is martin martin shaw dr martin shaw and he um he, for me, gets down to the heart of good, what good storytelling is. And when I saw him tell, I was like, hmm, that's what I want to do. And that's, that's, the, that's the art form. That's the craft that I want to be, yeah. um, be good at. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think from then I, I was like, right, I'm going to give it a go. You've got to, like, start and just try these things. And 
I still like you know, like I said, I'm I'm quite young in my storytelling journey, and there's still times that I tell terribly and that don't work, and you've got to like just keep trying it and trying it and trying it. Um, so yeah, I think I think just seeing other storytellers perform, kind of finding the the craft for myself and and kind of getting into it in that way, uh, and just giving it a go and persisting with it. Um, I by yeah. no means profess to be a an expert or you know. No, but persistence is underrated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was the phrase you used earlier? Something incompetence. Oh, okay. was it conscious incom conscious incompetence? Uh, yeah. So that's a really important you yeah. know, stage to reach in in any journey or any career is um you know getting beyond that sort of feeling of invincibility. That mm. uh, another way of putting it is you suddenly know what you don't know, uh-huh. or you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Um, no, wait, which one is it? You know. There's, there's lots of stuff out there that you don't know, whereas before you thought yeah. you knew it all. Conscience incompetence. Um, that's a really important stage to reach, and I don't know if we ever, ever you know, ever really come out the other end of it. Yeah. But I think it's, you know, it's a valuable kind of vulnerability to recognise in yourself to keep getting better, and as you've said, look up to people who are accomplished in the in their art in your eyes or in the mm. eyes of their society or industry. Um, and I love that you've got a little catalyst moment where you saw someone telling a story, and you thought, yeah, that's that's for me. I think, again, that's yeah. really important to be able to recognise. Yeah, I think I think there's something to seeing yourself in that moment and being like, uh, "That could be me. I could I could do that. I could give that a go." Yeah. Um, and a lot of my, you know, the, the, the in the work that I do, a lot of the storytelling that I get to do is is out, outdoors, often around a campfire, and that's just you know that kind of environment lends itself to, to a story, mm. and it's quite even easy just to, work a story in without it be feeling like it's um an imposition on people that you're gonna stand up and perform yeah. or do something, you just kind of, you know, spin one out and see what happens. Yeah. And uh yeah, I it I think it does it does take a bit of practice to kind of find where when when is a good time to tell a story, what's the right story to tell for this moment. And you only get that by by practicing. And you'll know yourself as a creative, you know, that you gotta start somewhere and you gotta practice and you gotta a lot and as well like you know when when you actually get good at it it looks effortless mm. and it looks like you've not you know it's really easy um and quite often particularly the storytelling because there's not much to it other than standing up and listing off what something that's happened but um or something that's you know fantasy um but there's a lot of work that goes into it yeah. in advance that that's kind of unseen oh, i can well imagine yeah. um i think I was going to ask, you know, where and when do you tell stories and when do you find it appropriate? Because I think it ranges from the informal, as you've just said, you might find a moment where you think it's appropriate or a way of getting through to people, but right through to the formal. And I think you're you're performing at the moment in, what is it, National Storytelling Week? Or? Uh, yeah, I was doing a show with the, the International Storytelling Festival. Um, so I've got a couple of events there. Yeah. Um, but it's a different beast altogether, like performance, storytelling as a thing, and then... The, you know, campfire storytelling and applied storytelling. There's loads of things you can do with it. Uh-huh. Like if I, if I, if I tell you a story right now, I'm not going to stand up and give it big licks and <laughs> you know, all that. But if I was on a stage, uh, you need to give it a bit of like panache, mm-hmm. a bit of something else to to keep people engaged and people interested. I'm sitting around a fire in a bothy. You know, it's a different sort of with a nice glass of whiskey, probably. Yeah, yeah. it's a different experience, isn't it? And, um. Yeah, it's just it, part part of the part of the process is is tuning your ear to being oh when's the right moment for a story? What's the right time to to tell a story? And what kind of story do we need? 
in this moment. Um, and I think as well, there's also there's also a process of like asking permission to tell a story mm-hmm. because not everybody wants to be drawn into the world of myth and <laughs> mystery instantly. But it's a lovely way to like escape from you know just the real world for a moment and enter into the realms of imagination. Yeah, the more you talk about it, the more it comes across. It does come across as a real art that you have to like anything, try and fail at and understand yeah. when's the right time, what's the right pitch, what's the right tone. I think your, your element of asking permission or, or kind of reading the room is mm-hmm. a really important one because, again, most people would just assume that, you know, everybody loves being told a story. No one's ever going to, I suppose, reject that. But, you know, you seem to say that sometimes isn't the right time or not the right setting. Yeah, I think it, I think it depends. I've, I've definitely been out with, with young folk before and not been getting a lot of input from them and asked if they would like a story and not had any response and then tried to tell a story and it's been met with like oh i don't want to i don't want to listen to this or and like lots of viral and then it makes me feel like i'm uh you know not delivering the story in the way that i want to deliver i can't really be in it it's nothing worse than telling a story to people who don't want to hear a story yeah um and yeah it's got to be that I, I quite often I'll think of it as, and a lot of storytellers think of it, there's three things at play when you tell a story. There's the teller themselves, there's the audience and the listeners, and then there's the story. And part of the part of the act is, or part, not part of the act, but part of the process is learning when to pull on each of those threads. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not like I have memorized a script or the words that I'm going to say. It's gonna it's got to be live and it's got to be real. Yeah. Um, and so that's the story at play and it's doing its own thing. And then the audience, what do they want to listen to? How, you know, if you're telling a, a, a ghost story or a spooky story or, or one with a bit of gore, you, you know, how much can you push that? <laughs> you know, as you can see people cringing or not enjoying something, you can pull back a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then how much of it is you allowing the story to come through you and how much of it is you showboating yeah. <laughs> and having a nice time in front of the stage. And people can see that as well. And it becomes a different thing if somebody's you know giving it big likes all yeah. singing all dancing at the front of the stage and yeah. high in their own supply sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so where do you get your material like what what inspires you to tell stories from the past mm. um a lot a lot of the traditional stories were, were written down um because it, it's 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 not a dying art form it's kind of had a bit of a resurgence within scotland and um within britain in general recently but um uh a lot of the a lot of the old folk tales were collected and and put down in books and when you put a story in like these stories would have been passed generation to generation person to person um by 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 mouth rather than by um writing them down so they exist in books the old dusty books somewhere and they were written down quite often by men um conservative religious men and when somebody writes down a story they'll they'll put their own spin on it They'll, they'll infer certain things and they might hear bits, they might drop bits and then it becomes one thing in that book. So part of the, the, the work of a good storyteller is to lift it back off the page and you know, make, it, make it move, make it, make it relevant, make it interesting for people um, in the modern day but also not lose the heart of mm. what the story is saying or what it's about. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a great resource online um, called I'm going to murder the Gaelic uh, pronunciation, Toberandulcus. Okay. Um, and it's a, a big uh, resource library of lots of 
recordings of oral storytellers oh, and wow. songs and you can go on and it's like free to use really so you can yeah it's great oh can we i'll put the link in the show notes yeah yeah you should do that and um, not in gaelic maybe or is I, it in gaelic that's the name of the website there's some so there's some snippets on it that are in gaelic but uh-huh. um yeah there's lots of english recordings and you can just search like you can search one of the great things you can do is you can search location so you can find sort of local storytellers or stories from your local place yeah and then you can listen to them and oh you know, what a fantastic it's a great thing. resource yeah so that exists um so there's that there's 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 books but then the the the, the best stories that i i learn are from other people telling them and that's like you know it, it can be because you get to see what they've put into it and what they've changed yeah. and then you can be like oh i could do something else with that um or, or put that i really like what you've done with this or you know but part of it is obviously being yourself and not just presenting somebody else's words yeah um off as your own uh and some storytellers are a bit funny about that but yeah always be careful to uh honor the story honor the storyteller and the people that have um told it before you and that's the nice thing when when you tell a story i just think of all the people that have told it for me that are standing behind me hey everyone we just want to say a huge thanks for tuning into this episode of the men who talk and take a quick break from the conversation to remind you how you can access more information on our collective head to our website www.themenwho.com drop us an email at let's talk at themenwho.com or check out our instagram at themenwho underscore to see what we're up to Together, it's our purpose to raise the power of sharing what's on our mind and make it easier for men everywhere to access their well-being potential. So why don't you join us on this lifelong journey? Thank you, and back to the show. And just recently, I told... So one of my friends is a conductor, and he, he was doing a, a, a concert with, a, with his orchestra, and he asked me to come and tell a story with him with the this thirty piece orchestra accompanying with some music, and I gave him a couple of suggestions of different stories to tell, and um, we landed in this old kind of Scottish folk tale, and he wrote some music to go along with it. The orchestra learned the music, and then I told this story accompanied by this score that he'd written, and it just felt absolutely magic to have this 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 story that has been sort of almost forgotten get this like grand treatment yeah. and just to know i don't think it's ever been told like this before uh-huh. and all the times it's been told before has led to this moment of it being told on a stage with an orchestra i think that's pretty magic that's fantastic yeah it was really cool yeah i, I had a really incredible experience the other day completely impromptu and and only now i think about it was the heart of storytelling that you know give me this great sense of well-being afterwards but um i i have uh, I took my youngest son for a walk. He's still in a pram, so we uh, we walked all the way over to Grey Forest Kirkyard, which I'd never actually been in before. Um, even though it's in the heart of Edinburgh, and I've you know spent most of my life here. Walked past it and thought, right, we're going to go in. It's a lovely autumn day, stunning place. I mean, rich in history and storytelling. You know, not not a lot of nice storytelling, but storytelling no. <laughs> nonetheless. And do you know what I did when I got to the gate? I went onto podcasts on my phone, searched Grey Forest Kirkyard, found one story by a guy who you know, specialises in sort of ghost stories. And I played it and I walked round and round this kirkyard for an hour, listened to this guy tell stories. And the way that enhanced the experience, my yeah. kind of view of the place, it, you know, it's an hour I'll, I'll never forget. 
because all these things just came together in the heart of this beautiful city and I thought wow that is even through a podcast and even to one person that's the power of a story anyway it can just completely change your view of something yeah wow uh Edinburgh's yeah full of good stories like that and yeah but so many people don't realize it that they're walking on uh so much history yeah and um yeah, being able to to really connect to the place in that way must have been pretty special. It was just, yeah, it was, and it was just you know a, a, another advert for me in that you know stories can change your perception of somewhere and create a lasting memory. What's the name of the mad guy that? Um, did you hear the story? I can't remember the name of the guy. He locked a load of people in. Blood, bloody Mackenzie. That's the one. Yeah, him. Um, did you hear that one? Oh, mate, this so this was the heart <laughs> of the story, and I went and stood by. I think it's the Covenanters' the, prison, uh-huh. and then felt all this like history and you know bloodshed and. Oof, I mean, incredible story, isn't it? Yeah, did you hear about the man, the, the man that wandered into the crypt before they put the lock on it? Uh, it was, it was this the, the was homeless it? man? Yeah. I did, yeah. yeah. And yeah. he, like, fell through a grate. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I almost kind of, I don't want to spoil this for people. I want to actually say to you, go to Great Forest Kirkyard, download this podcast. Again, I'll put the link in the show notes and listen to it, especially around Halloween. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. But, but this, again, this is an example of a story that, you know, not particularly happy story, but it's passed through generations and brings a place to life. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not all stories are, you know, all positive. They've, but there's learning in them. There's teaching in them. There and, is. And uh, I think, yeah, it's, I, I guess it, it dances with that. Is it, it's important to um, acknowledge the past and consider the past, or should we forget it and not talk about it? Um, and I think more and more we need to acknowledge, especially the way things are these days. Yeah. We've got to acknowledge the 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 things that have gone on in the past and not necessarily give them voice but give them consideration and uh, understand why they might be harmful or mm-hmm. uh, you know negative experiences for people yeah well I think this kind of segues nicely into I suppose the main reason we're having the conversation is as a storyteller as someone who's engaged with the men who in what way can either telling a story or being told a story or just engaging in the act of storytelling how can it sort of enhance our either individual or collective well-being? Mm. For me, uh, the so I often find it really cathartic being able to. So, if I'm if I pick a story to to tell, um, the the stories that I want to tell and the stories that I would recommend if anybody is interested in 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 working with this this craft is it's got to be a story that speaks to you. You've got to be able to relate to it in some way. So if I find a story or hear a story that I want to tell, I first identify where am I in that story? Mm-hmm. How do I relate to it? And I start to kind of unpick a little bit. Well, why is it I feel like that? Where, where does my life meet the story? And that's when I start to be like, right, I'm, I'm getting a bit more richness from this and I can bring myself into this telling in a way that's safe for me as well if, if, if there's trauma or something that I've, I've not quite worked through then it's not going to be the right thing to, to to work with so in terms of mental well-being it can really help me process life events and, and acknowledge and, and work with and um yeah uh feel into those life events and uh, a little bit more and give breath and give voice to them and tell get them out there and in this kind of it can feel really cathartic to be able to do that and if you can do that well which hopefully I can do, um, that then other people will see that and can relate to that in some way as well. Um, and the the beautiful thing is I've 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 told stories before, and uh, I, I, one of the things I don't like to do is 
to uh, tell a story what it is. Because what a story is to me will be different to somebody else. Everybody sees a different thing. Everybody will relate to something different. And the more you tell a story, the more you kind of get to know it. So I've told stories before that I'll see something of myself in it and I'll draw that out or I'll, you know, because it's a, it's a relatable experience perhaps. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we'll have a discussion after it and somebody else will be somewhere completely different in the story and they'll be uh, having their own, you know, finding their own life within the story. And yeah. then, and then you, what you end up with is a wonderful, you can get a rich, really rich, lovely discussion out of it with somebody else. And it can be connective and it can be a part of community bonding and being together. And it only ever is going to enrich my experience of the story, that other person's experience of the story. And as well, relating to story can often be a little bit easier than finding the words for something that maybe you don't understand. If you can, you know, consider yourself uh, like a, just so it before, but, you know, hoarding gold as a dragon or something like what are you holding on to what are you holding on to that you need to let go of or Mm -hmm. um you know when were you lost in the woods what was that like what did that feel like um and and then what what was it like when you saw the little candle in the window of the cottage far up in the distance and that was that glimmer of hope yeah and yeah just to just to relate to those experiences i think for me i can start to you know feel into them a little bit more process my own experiences understand my own experiences and understand what what the outcomes of the characters or the people in the stories were, and mm-hmm. how I might achieve that or arrive at that. You know how do how do you work with those messages? Um, so yeah, for for me, it, it's that's that's part of the the process of working with story, um, in a way that kind of brings people together, and uh, you know, I can find my own way through it in some way. Um, and as well, it's 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 a way that I kind of connect with with nature as well you know we spend so much of our time consuming things consuming media consuming you know things we probably shouldn't be consuming and um you know the the nature is in a uh, a wobbly state as it were at the moment um but if i can give something back go and tell a story to the trees which i do quite Mm. frequently um that can be for me a really cathartic process to you know, speak out what's going on inside me, but also give something back. And I have to tell you, the trees love hearing stories. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, like, why? Why why do you go and tell stories to trees? It's, it's good to get it out and to, you know, exp- before I go and tell a story to anybody, I'm going to tell it to um, a, a natural space, a wild space first. Wow. Because... um. It's got to. I, I, I need. I need an audience. It's, I, I can't just stare stare at myself in the mirror. I don't want just want to tell to myself. I need to tell yeah. to something else or someone else. And nature is a very forgiving audience. Oh, <laughs> it's so poetic. <laughs> nature is a forgiving audience. Yeah. <laughs> I've just gone out to tell stories. But a lot of the the bards, like the bardic tradition in the UK um, and uh, the British Isles, you know, the bards would have done things like that. They would have gone and they would have walked and they would have uh, walked the land and listened to the land and. You know, as a storyteller, it's less about me talking, and I do a lot of listening. And um, part of the part of the bardic culture, what they would do is they would, you know, bury themselves in in the earth and just, you know, meditate on it. And mm-hmm. there's one, there's another one where they sit with like a great weight on their chest, and they have to remember like nine books of poetry and things like that. Wow! But as part of the part of the the process of um, getting to know the story better, getting to know yourself better, and bringing in some of that wildness and that nature. 
into the story because yeah. a lot of these stories you know have messages about the land wrapped up in them and it is a really strong character that you can't forget in a story mm-hmm. uh, you've got to bring it in in some way i mean it's so it's, it's really a beautiful thought you know mm-hmm. to think of you know you or anyone going out and using nature as your audience um yeah. It doesn't work so well in the psychopaths and Edinburgh. <laughs> People think you're a bit strange. <laughs> um, I hope I hope to run past you one day when you're on a bike t- telling a story. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're the way you, the way you describe the benefits of storytelling in the context of well-being. You know, it's similar for me. I think I'm no great storyteller. I tell my son a story every night, but they are they're, they're basic, but they're powerful for him. Yeah. You know, he's he's a three year old, and I can I know the power because he. Even if it's the same story five times in a row, I, I can see what he's getting from it. You know, one, they're spending time with his dad. And, uh, and if we extrapolate that, you know, there's a huge community element to stories. We're all physically in the same space. A lot of the time we are sharing in, the same, in something common. We are maybe taking our own perspectives on that, but we're all kind of, you know, take, drawing from the same well, as it were. Um, and as you've also said, the ability to recognize yourself or a situation through a story that could be centuries old and apply that and help you work through issues or problems or make sense of something in an an abstract way or through metaphor i think is a really it's an exceptionally important thing for us to be able to do as humans because it might be that you know you've you've tried to tackle this in a very linear way but it's until you hear a story that you recognize yourself or someone else in it's not until that point that it makes sense Mm. yeah i'm wondering what what do you do you get a lot from telling stories to your son i Yes, it's it's an interesting question. I've never been asked before. I mean, apart from the fact that you know it's a lovely ten fifteen minutes for us at the end of the day. The the bit I love most about him about telling stories with with Rory, who's three, is we we every, we change it every night slightly. Yeah, As nice. I say, it could be the same story, but we change the voices or yeah. we change the bit that he contributes to, and you can see in his face he just. He finds it so engaging to yeah. be part of that storytelling and not just be being read a story. Yeah, because he'll be finding himself in it yeah. as well yeah. and, and take, taking on different characters and playing with those different elements within the story. Very relevant. So the tiger who came to tea, very Brilliant famous story. story. Yeah. So, so in that one, before we start, for some reason, he'll, he'll say, um, you know, change, change the name of the little girl to, to Rory, his name. Um, change the name of the mummy to mummy. And there's a dad figure in it. That's you. So he, already he's he's um, projecting his family situation into this story, and he that's the one that's the way he wants it told back to him. Yeah, nice. Which is really you know it's a lovely thing to be a part of. Yeah. Do you know it off the top of your head now? Uh, <laughs> you I, I, I bet much. I bet you he will. <laughs> I bet you he will. Um, <laughs> he's got insane capacity for um, for memory. Maybe he'll be a storyteller. But yeah. yeah, look, I think it's just. There's a lot of parallels to the men, parallels to the men who, even though it's not a storytelling circle, it is still a circle where we kind of gather around a common theme and we explore that, and we all take our own meaning from it, don't we? Yeah, I think people people come. We we do a check in at the start, where people come and they bring the stories of their week or what's been going on for them, and it can be an incredibly cathartic experience to have. Uh, uh, I think I've said cathartic about eight times, but <laughs> it can be a wonderful experience to to be heard in that way and to to be in a circle with other people and to be able to bring your story and for it to be heard and not judged and accepted yeah. and to be able to give it give it voice and say oh you know what this has been on for me this week and I need to like, get it off my chest. Um, it can be a really 
a really great experience yeah. to be able just to like you know get that good. Yeah, well, I have a newfound appreciation and respect for storytelling and storytellers. And you, you are going to tell us a story before the episode's out, which we may also release as a bonus episode to help people relax and drift off in their own time. But before we come on to your story, I've just got a few more things to put to you, if I may. Mm. Um, if people want to get involved with you or as a storyteller in their own right or to be told stories, you know, where can they go? Yeah, good question. Um the so i've got a little website davidhughstoryteller.com um i've also got an instagram page um uh so you can you can check it out there um if you're interested in the art of storytelling and you are local to edinburgh there is the storytelling center scottish storytelling center and they run a brilliant apprenticeship program that's free to join and uh if you're interested in developing your own storyteller's voice you can join that um and there's a directory of different storytellers on there that you can, you know, browse at your leisure and check out their website. Uh, there's there's several podcasts that you can check out. A lot of my stories on Coach Daniel Allison has a podcast called House of Legends, which has uh, got loads of good stories on it. Um, and for, and he tells stories from various different places uh, across the across the world. Um, yeah, and just um, I would just yeah suggest checking out but this is varied and diverse and there'll be storytellers that you know i like that other people won't won't like as much and won't relate to as much so i you know just it's like anything you kind of find what you like about the the, the craft and uh yeah read into that more and more and more mm-hmm. um and yeah if you're interested in, in old old folk tales like we said the tor Randolph's website's a good yeah a good starting point for for scottish stories certainly i'm not sure what what the what it's like down in um, what what resources there are down England, but um, yeah, online is a great resource. There's thousands and thousands of stories. Yeah, Reddit, subreddit forms, and all that. I can't I wait to dive in. I'm just, <laughs> honestly going to spend my night my night tonight on this website, yeah. just clicking through. It's honestly you can spend ages oh. doing it, and there's like old sea shanties and Gaelic and yeah. Scots, and it's all really really nice stuff. Probably a more effective use of time than Instagram. Yeah, yeah. be a bit richer. <laughs> I don't know, some of them are probably not so good, but <laughs> well, there's certainly a lot on it. <laughs> mod- moderation in all things. Um, <laughs> it's been an incredible conversation. Um, before we come on to your story, just a few more general questions yeah. around mental well-being and uh, a question from our previous guest as well. Um, on, on mental well-being, if, if someone was to come to you in the men who or just someone in your life and sort of confide in you and says, you know, they're struggling with something, what what guidance would you give them from your own experience to set them off on a better path um oh that's a really interesting question um i don't know i so I, a lot a lot of what i do and i've I worked with young folk that struggle with mental health quite a lot of the time and um i don't for me i don't know if it's about setting people off on a different path or a better path i would always kind of come back to you know the path you're on is the path you're on and like i'm a big fan of accepting things where you're at um and i guess trying to accept and embrace the moment um that you're in rather than seek to i don't know i think it feels kind of yeah maybe kind of productive to give advice of just to sit where you're at but um i don't know just uh that's a bit of a naff answer. No, I think it's actually really good because it's something, it's medicine that I could do with. Because my inclination growing up is if I didn't like something, I'd 
seek an alternative. I think I think we're told a lot of the time to to do that. If you don't like something, change it. And I think that's a good thing. I think I think definitely you know you can be in this situation and and uh, whatever situation you're in and and need that catalyst for change. But for me, a lot of the time when I when I feel like I'm maybe not in the right place or I want to be in a different place, there's a process of accepting that I'm in the place that I'm in mm-hmm. that that has to come first before I make the change. And I don't know. I, I don't like. I, I wouldn't. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't see myself as this. You know, guru dispensing wisdom or anything. I'd probably just say, "Do you want a story?" Do <laughs> <laughs> you just want a story? That's absolutely perfect. <laughs> tell tell me a story about someone who accepts where they are and works with it. You know, because honestly, I could do with a lot of that. Yeah. Um, rather than rather than chopping and changing every time something doesn't quite go to plan. Um, a question from our previous guest, Kirsty, who was on last episode um, and talked to us about hypnotherapy, which which was fascinating for anyone that hasn't had a chance to listen to it. Her question to you, which may seem quite obvious in the context of this conversation, but I'm going to ask you to dive a little bit deeper. Her question was, which area of your profession gives you the most satisfaction? Yeah, good question. Um, I think about like profession and, and what I do and who I am as a, as a whole. And I think I get the most satisfaction when, whether it's being out with somebody in nature or um, telling a story, when somebody lands on something for themselves or discovers something from themselves. And I, I think, yeah, there's something about that, uh, seeing somebody discover something for themselves. And feeling like not that I've instigated it or I guess facilitated it in a way, whether it's you know being interested or curious about you know a bug that somebody's found on the on the on the forest floor or or feeling success that they've managed to light a fire for the first time or feeling some sort of pride that they've managed to uh you know take on a challenge and complete a challenge that that to me when when I see that by facilitating and holding space for people through, you know, stories or whatever else, that they've kind of landed in something for themselves and they feel that they themselves have got there. That often feels like the most satisfying parts. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And do you have a question for our next guest? Mm. One thing that I, I kind of come back to quite a lot is um, like what's alive for me right now? I wonder what's what's alive for the next person right now. What's alive? Yeah, and they can kind of interpret that as how they'd like. But what's like feeling really like exciting and fresh and moving and alive? That feels quite open. Brilliant question. Oh, you've got me thinking. What's alive for you right now? What's oh, alive? Great question, man. Love that. Well, listen, we don't know who's next, but I'm going to put it to them and I'm going to give them a chance to think about it. Um, but fantastic question brilliant conversation i mean oh, it, thank you. it feels like i've been part of a story in a sense and um i you know as i say i've taken uh, a lot of depth from what you've said you know the art of storytelling what it can do for us as individuals and communities david it's story time <laughs> david it's story time it's story time <laughs> thank god okay it's forever forever <laughs> forever and out there listening over to you well would you like to hear a story i would love to hear okay. a story so this is a story from uh that I heard from a storyteller mythologist called Michael Mead. And uh, it's one that I tell quite a lot. And it comes from Borneo. 
and there's a lot in it that I think is very relevant to our times. But I'm just going to let it. I'm not going to explain the story. I'm not going to, you know, go into any more detail than just allowing it to have some life, and uh, people can infer it, uh, infer from it what they wish. And one of the things with storytelling is when you hear a story, you've got to pass it on. Right. So, well, can I, is it okay if I pass it on via the podcast? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Or you can tell it to your son. Or I'll tell it to yeah, my son. Perfect. Yeah. Um, that's how the tradition says like. Great. Fair. I think I should start it with once upon a time. But actually, only yesterday, <laughs> there was a village. And in this village, there were people from all walks of life. All different backgrounds, all different shapes, sizes, dispositions, dispositions, colours, all sorts of people were in this village. You and I are part of this village. And it's a great village to be part of. Where every night people would gather around a great fire and they would dance and they would celebrate their day. And it would be a wonderful, majestic thing to see the villagers dance. But at the centre of the village, there's a woman who's round ready to give birth and the day comes when she's ready to give birth and everybody in the village is gathered round ready to welcome this new life this new little baby into the into the village and the ritual's the same the world over the woman gives birth there's probably hot towels there's you know little baby grows and things ready for the baby when he comes out and the woman's holding this baby for the first time. Everybody's ready to celebrate. And she looks down at her, her new son. And she sees he's got beautiful little rosy cheeks. But he's missing one half of his body. The other half is just some sort of strange smoke. He's got a right ear and a right arm and a right leg, right eye. But he's missing the other side of him. And none of the villagers really know what to do with a half-boy. The woman doesn't really know what to do with a half-boy. But the half-boy does what lots of babies do. Begins to cry. Begins to weep. And begins to wail. And the mother looks at him and doesn't really know how to care for this half-boy. So she ignores his crying and his weeping and his wailing. And none of the villagers do anything to help him. And time passes. The little baby, the little half-boy, grows up to be a half-toddler. And then a half-boy running around the village. And we all know half-boys. They're always the ones that cause trouble. In Scotland, we call them rascals or torags a lot of the time. They're always the ones that people roll their eyes when they come to play. And it, more and more and more, as time passes, he doesn't wail and he doesn't cry as much. But he starts to push people away in different ways. And he starts to you know, be the one to spoil a game or wind people up. And people don't want anything to do with them. So much so that people in this village forget their dance. They forget how to do their majestic, wonderful dance. And they get wrapped up in their own life so much. And that little half-boy grows up to be a teenager. And the day comes, as the day comes for us all, when... It's time for us to step out of the village, to leave the village behind and to go off and find our way in the world. And that half-boy does that. He leaves the village behind and there's nobody there to send him off. There's nobody to give him wise words of advice as he crosses the threshold of the village and enters out into the wide world. He does it alone. And off he goes. 
down this dusty road, not really knowing where he's going, not really having much with him, having nobody have, to have guided him to this point. And he passes through village after village after village. And sometimes he gets a bit of work. Sometimes he gets the odd job thrown at him, but never, he never stays for very long. And he just passes through these villages like, like a shadow. And eventually one day, on his own, he comes to the banks of a great river. And he kneels down by this river to have a drink. And from the distance, coming out from the other side of the river, he sees a shape coming towards him. And he squints his one right eye in that, in that shape, towards that shape. And he looks as it comes closer and closer and closer. And he sees it's got a left arm and a left leg, left ear, left eye. And that left half boy comes across the river. They look at each other straight in their eye. And I'd love to tell you that this is the point, this was the point where both half boys met their other half and fused together and became one. But that's not what happened. All that rage and all that anger that that half, the half boys felt bubbled up within them and they began to fight, throwing punches, hurling abuse, shouting, being really horrible to each other, fighting and fighting and fighting until both half boys fall into the river together and are swallowed up this great river. Under they go, under the waves. And overhead the skies darken and there's said to be a great and terrible storm that passes over. The river boils up and froths up and those two boys, those two half boys are still underneath the water being dragged, being pushed, fighting and fighting and fighting as the river boils up. And then one day, the clouds part, the river calms. From the river emerges not two half boys, but one whole boy. And that whole boy walks the way that a boy who's spent all his life as two half boys might walk, falling over his legs, not really knowing where he's going to go, not really knowing what he's doing. And he wanders, stumbling through village after village after village, looking and searching for something, but not really sure what he's searching for. And then he comes to the edge of a village. Now, at the edge of this village, there's an old man. And he has one foot inside the village and one foot outside the village. And he looks at the whole boy who'd become, the half boys who'd become whole, and says, my boy, do you know where you are? And the half boys had become whole, look at him and say, no, we don't know where we are. And the old man says, this is the village that you started your life in. This is your home village. And the people here have forgotten their dance. But now that you've returned, I think if you and I go into this village together, hand in hand, and dance, old and young, together, they might remember again. The old man holds his hand out to the whole boy. The whole boy takes his hand, and together they walk into the village. And around the great fire they begin to dance, old and young, together. And the villagers see this, and they join the dance, first the little ones and the older ones and everybody in the village is celebrating and dancing and with this half boy has now returned to the village the son of the village and for the first time in his life he's welcomed in 
back to his home with open arms. And he goes on to become the storyteller of the village. He tells stories of where he's been and what he's done. And with those stories, he helps people in the village. And every night they gather around the fire and they listen to the stories that he brings. And after those stories, they dance. But at the centre of the village, there's a woman who's really pregnant. She's ready to give birth and the day comes for her to give birth. And that ritual's the same the world over. And she gives birth to another little child. She holds that child in her arms. She realises she's given birth to a half-child. That's the story. That was a joy to be a part of. Thanks for listening. Oh, I'm, I'm mesmerised. It's a good story. It's a really good story. Yeah. You, you, so you said, you said, I mean, that was honestly a privilege to just experience that one-on-one and I'm really happy that this has been recorded and we'll go out to other people. Um, you said before then you don't like to interpret a story mm. on people's behalf. Yeah. Do you, interp- do you help them interpret it after if they ask? Yeah, uh, yeah so I guess I, my, my follow-up would be to ask uh, people to what I would call and what a lot of storytellers call feeding the story. So we've received the story, we've got something from the story and what I would do is sit with the story and allow everybody to sit with it and say, what's the one image or what part of the story has captured your imagination? What's, what, what's, what's the part of the story that you think hmm, there's something in that that's made that stirred something in you that you can remember more than the rest of it. And then just in a bit of silence and a bit with your eyes closed, just feeling into that moment in the story and allowing yourself to sort of orientate within it. And then I would invite discussion from that and say, where are you in the story? And, and the thing is, everybody finds themselves somewhere different. So they might find themselves at the banks of the river, you know, when they first see the half boy. Or they might find themselves dancing at the middle of the village. Um, or they might find themselves uh, at a different part in the story. And I think then you start to feel into it and you're like, that's where you are in the story. That's mm. where a part of yourself is being drawn to. So then, you know, when were you on the banks of the river? What was it like when you met your other half? What was it like when you fell into the river? What was it like when the, the elder of the village took your hand and said, come and dance with me? Yeah. You know, and, and that's how I would feed into it and say, and that's what we've done with the, the men who before as well, yeah. um, just to sort of get a feel for everybody's own story kind of coming into it. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's so evocative. I mean, yeah, I, I do want to sit with that. I think as, you know, as, as you were telling it, I, there were a couple of points where I could, you know, recognize that scenario or experience of my own journey, but, you know, now you kind of, you reflect on the different components or ingredients in that story. I think most people would be able to find themselves at each point. And I suppose yeah. when that story was being constructed or built however long ago it was, you know, that was probably very intentional. It was a very, it seems very transient to me. Yeah. So, so the story, so that's like my take on it and what I've read into it. And a, a lot of the time if I'm telling a story, I want to present it in a certain way. So I've maybe read into a certain part of it and, and drawn that out. Uh, but that's how they evolve and they change. And um yeah, uh the but yeah, the the, the bones of the story, the, the 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 main things that happen in the story, they don't really tend yeah. to change. They shouldn't change. Yeah. Well listen, I can't promise to do it as, as much justice as you did, but <sighs> I can promise you I'll take that and tell it to my boys um in in the best way possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Change it as much as you like. Uh, yeah, I might have to shorten it because I probably don't have that capacity for for memory. But um, but no, that honestly, that was a privilege. The, the story, the conversation, 
you know thank you for being a part of it thank you for being part of the men who and keep doing what you're doing because it is just phenomenal uh, thanks john thank you mate. all the best thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the men who talk we really hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and can apply some of today's wisdom to your own mental well-being practices for more information on this episode or our collective head to the show notes or visit our website www.themenwho.com or head over to Instagram at themenwho underscore. If you've found value in what we've been sharing, feel free to rate and review our show as it really helps us spread the word and reach more listeners. For now, keep talking, stay well, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Men Who Talk.